This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. And on this day, the 10th of September, it is, of course, World Suicide Day. And uh, we remember all of those whose lives have been lost to suicide. We remember their families and we remember their loved ones. And we will be talking about World Suicide Day later on on the programme. And in particular, talking about a new voluntary mental health service for children and adolescents that is due to open in West. Cork. This is certainly a good news story for people in West Cork but of course also uh, today we are reflecting on 20 years ago on something that is often referred to as a day that changed the world. We are on the eve of the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on the US and what happened on that day 20 years ago was felt far beyond the locations where the attacks happened in New York in Washington and in Pennsylvania and for the decades since the effects of it have reverberated all around the world and this is the weekend that the world will stop to remember the events of that day 20 years tomorrow when we all, everyone around the world watched in horror as the US was under attack and I'm already seeing in the papers today some commemorations were held yesterday Today, what looks like a, a really respectful service was held when the Mayor of County Cork, Councillor Gillian Coughlin, she led a very special memorial tribute to the New York firefighters, those that died in the 9-11 attacks. Uh, Councillor Coughlin was joined by members of the Cork County Fire Service and it's in a video tribute that was created at the Ring Finnan Garden of Remembrance and, and in particular they did it uh, this week to to mark and to honour the 20th anniversary of the attacks. The mayor laid a wreath at the Memorial Garden and she was accompanied, as I say, by members of the Cork County Fire Service. She described the attack on the Twin Towers as one that shocked the entire world and brought to the forefront of our minds the bravery of first responders around the globe. She said 20 years may seem like a long time, but to the families who lost a loved one, time heals slowly. And she said in Cork, we stand with those families today and all those who are were grieving. And of course, Ring Finn and Garden of Remembrance, that was founded by Kinsale native uh, Kathleen Murray. She had worked as a nurse at Lennox Hill Hospital in New York for over 30 years and Kathleen decided to create this garden. She planted 343 trees 
each tree bearing the name of a member of the New York City Fire Department who gave their lives in the pursuit of uh, saving others and it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, memorial garden so it was a fitting place for the Mayor of County Cork to honour and mark the 20th anniversary and the nearly 3,000, remember 3,000 civilians and first responders uh, died in the 9-11 tax. They were also honoured at an event in uh, Dublin uh, where it was also spoken about the fact that at least 18 Irish citizens died in the terrorist atrocities and Dennis Keeley the acting chief officer at Dublin Fire Brigade and the US uh, Charge d'Affaires Alexander McKnight laid a wreath at a memorial to the victims and this is a memorial in Dublin that includes a piece of steel from the World Trade Centre and among those attending the event hosted in the grounds of the US Ambassador's resident was the former Taoiseach Bertie Ahern and also the Deputy Lord Mayor of Dublin Joe Costello uh, was there uh, as well but it's interesting when they talk about you know 18 Irish citizens on that day lost their lives in the terrorist uh, atrocities I, I mentioned when I was chatting to Ken teeing up the programme in the last hour it was just after the 10th anniversary of 9-11 I was in New York and we went to visit Ground Zero and to see the memorial which wasn't long opened at that stage and you know you go in and the memorials are these two magnificent waterfalls set into the ground and they mark they're the footprint of what was the two twin towers and all around are the names of all of the people that died on that day uh, now 20 years ago and at that stage it was 10 years ago and I went around and I was reading in my mind you know to myself I was saying the names by way of trying to remember those whose lives were lost on the day on the day and I just couldn't get over the amount of Irish names that were there and it just it struck me the Irish diaspora the stamp of the Irish diaspora is all over that 9-11 memorial added to the fact that there were citizens who died on the day citizens who would have been working in the Twin Towers visiting the Twin Towers are of course some of our own Irish citizens were members of they were firefighters and they were members of the police uh, force so we're asking people today where were you on that day uh, 20 years ago what are your abiding memories like how did you first hear the news that something had happened in New York and you know and then of course within a very short period of time we started to realise that it was a terrorist attack and I I think I will remember forevermore exactly where I was when I first started to hear that something was going wrong initially it was in New York and then of course we started to hear what was happening in Pennsylvania and what was happening in uh, Washington but Marsha our daughter had just come to live with us so at that stage adoption wasn't even on the cards she was staying with us she was out on a medical visa and we were seeing if we could help this tiny little thing if there was anything medically could be done for her and she was booked into the Mercy Hospital in Cork because we were trying to assess what level of a hearing loss she had we knew that she was completely blind but we were trying to find out what the level of the hearing loss was and because she was non-verbal and obviously because we weren't speaking Russian we didn't quite know if she was hearing anything of the spoken word even though we could sense that she was reacting to music so it was decided that she was going to go in for what's called an EUA and an examination under anaesthetic so she was her appointment was for 9-11-2001 and we had to bring her up early on that morning. She was going in under anaesthetic that day. So we all went to the hospital in the morning, checked her in. My husband stayed with her before she was going down to theatre. I came back to do the programme and then the plan was when the programme was finished, I'd go back up, 
take over the watch in the hospital and Brenda, my husband, could go to work for the for the afternoon. So everything went swimmingly well. I did the programme, hopped into the car, driving up to Cork City, had the radio on, news came on and this news was coming out of a plane that had hit the one of the Twin Towers and they were talking about, you know, what a beautiful autumnal day it was, a clear blue sky and it was morning time obviously in New York and it was a clear blue sky and I was thinking and I was thinking I wanted to do the pilot have a heart attack, was there a medical emergency what could possibly have happened that a plane, that a pilot would drive straight into this very, very large building. And of course, as I was listening to that report, suddenly the report came through that a second plane had hit the second Twin Tower and then suddenly people were saying New York is under attack, America's under attack, this is a, a, a terrorist attack. And then I made it up to, my husband then happened to ring to tell me how Marsha was getting on and I said, are you listening to the radio? And he said, the TV is on here in the children's ward. Everybody is watching it. And uh, so I went up and she had had a reaction to the anaesthetic and was, the poor little scrape was quite unwell. So she ended up having to stay in because it was meant to be a day procedure so I ended up sleeping on the floor in the hospital uh, with her but the TV was just permanently on and staff were coming in and out just saying you know isn't this awful and it was just it was just one of those moments your your jaw was you, you couldn't even speak it was just you, you're, you know when, when your jaw drops and you're just looking going I can't believe this and then they kept replaying. Do you remember we kept watching the scenes and every time you watched it you hope that it was going to be something different and then at one stage I remember watching and saying this feels like it's a movie. This feels like they're just rerunning a, a movie. It was it was truly, truly shocking. So we're looking for your thoughts on what was going on in your life uh, 20 years ago. Where were you and particularly where were you when you originally heard the news and we put it up on our Facebook and on social media earlier and already starting to get in commentary from people. Mary said I was sitting at my desk in work. My brother phoned to tell me I'd spent a lot of my holidays in the Big Apple uh, from the early 80s through to the 90s and onwards. So I'd been up in the Twin Towers a few times. I was absolutely shocked and broken hearted for the people of New York. Jane said, I was just home from school. I walked in the door and I was told, shh, as the second plane just hit. Still to this day, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. As I was on the second Twin Tower a week before as we had been in New York on our holidays. My goodness, missing it by a week. Kathleen said, I was at work standing next to a workmate whose daughter was over in New York. I will never forget the look on his face and it took him 48 hours before he was able to make contact with his daughter to tell her that he was okay, to tell him that she was okay. And that story is reflected by a lot of people as well because communication became extremely difficult. Trying to get through to anybody in New York because mobile phones were down and it took such a long time to get mobile phones back up and running uh, as as well. Fanula said, I was living in New Jersey on my way in to work when the news broke on the radio. We could see the smoke for weeks afterwards from our town. And Cathy said, myself and my cousin Claire were on our way back from Australia. We had stopped in Hawaii and that was the day we were meant to be flying into New York and obviously they grounded all planes after that. We ended up being diverted to Vancouver and we ended up having to spend 10 days in uh, Vancouver. Martin is on the line. Good morning to you, Martin. Good morning, Trish. Uh, Where were you 20 years ago uh, tomorrow? I was fishing in New York Harbour. Wow. It was my day off from work. I worked for the National Railroad in Penn Station, Midtown. 
and you were out on the harbour on that morning? Yeah, we were out in a fishing boat, commercial fishing boat. And what, when did you realise, what, what was the first thing you saw? Did you hear a bang? Was it smoke? What, what, what did you see? Uh, well, actually, the captain on the boat, the, uh, the North Tower, had just gotten uh, hit. So he turned the ship in that direction. We could see the uh, smoke. And what were you initially thinking was going on? Well, initially we we had no idea, you know, until the, we heard that the uh, South Tower had gotten hit. So then we knew that something serious had happened. So, did you stay fishing? Oh no, 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 oh. no! That was the end. That was the end of the fishing trip. It was a day fishing trip, but nobody was interested in fishing anymore. So you just but, went home. Yeah. But the following day, then I had to go to work in Midtown Manhattan, and the whole it, it was just shut down, you know. So I walked out to Times Square at eight thirty in the morning. Yeah. And normally, you know, what Times Square is like at eight thirty during rush hour. Yeah. And there wasn't a soul. There wasn't a cab. There wasn't a car. All you could hear is the planes, uh, the Navy planes flying overhead. Was that a and very eerie? Was yeah? Was it a very eerie feeling? It was. It was like that movie, like the day after, you know. It was just nothing there. It was just a couple of days after that. Then I went down to the trade center, and everything was covered in ash, and it was just eerie down there. The smell of the transform was still burning in that. And did you did you know anyone whose life was lost on that day? Yeah, a friend of mine was up and uh, his son was working on the 103rd floor. And he'd only started working there uh, two weeks previously for an IT firm. And he didn't come home? No, I didn't come home, no, no, no. It's dreadful. dreadful. And like, uh, I used to take the train out from Penn Station out to New Jersey where I live. And the parking lot, there was like several cars there for days after, you know, overnight with tickets on them. So, you know, those people never made it home either. Yeah, and you'd look at the cars and know. Yeah, and yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Martin, is it hard to believe that it's 20 years ago? It's it's just like yesterday, you know? Yeah. It's serious. It's oh, uh, uh, where have the years gone, you know? It's unreal. How long more did you remain in the States? Oh, I only retired in um, 2013. I, I only retired eight years ago. So I moved back to Mitchellstown then. And you moved back when you retired? Yeah, well, I, I retired in 2013 and I moved back here four years ago. And was that, was that always the plan, to come home to retire? Um, no, not really. Um, it's just that all my friends were retiring at the same time. They were all moving to Florida and Arizona, you know, because you don't pay no taxes. And um, my mom had left me and my brother the house here in Mitchelltown. So I decided to come home and give it a shot, and I'm here then. Well done. Well done. Listen, thank you for sharing your memories no with problem, us. No problem, Chris. Have a thank, great day. Uh, you too, you too. God, God bless. Paul says, I was in the door from school. The landline rang, uh, saying, the landline rang. How often does the landline ring now? Saying, turn on CNN on the black box. Uh, I turned it on and I watched the second plane hit live. It was a day that changed uh, the world. And John Paul has put together a little montage just reminding us of this day 20 years ago. Just a few moments ago, something uh, believed to be a plane crashed into the South Tower 
of the World Trade Center. I just saw flames inside. You can see the smoke uh, coming out of the uh, of the tower. We have no idea what it was. It was a tremendous boom just a few moments ago. You can hear around me emergency vehicles heading towards the scene. Tell us uh, what you saw and heard, if you would, please. Okay, I am. Um, I'm at 99 Hudson Street. I was standing outside, actually, at the side of the building, smoking a cigarette. And I hear a plane, and I don't usually see planes in this area. Then all of a sudden, I saw it go right into the to, uh, to the World Trade Center, to, you, the, to the building. So right you in. saw a plane crash, crash into the side of the World Trade Center. Yes, sir. And, and, uh, and I'm, like, on the 14th floor, so I was just, like, looking out, you know, because there's, like, a, a fire, some, like, fire staircase or something, you know, just, like, a little balcony. And I, I saw it go right into the building, and I was like, oh, my God, you know. And I have, and it was a big plane. It wasn't, you know, a little plane. It was fairly big. Did you hear the explosion oh, from yes. your position? Yes, we did. As a matter of fact, we we heard it, and because and, I was just, like, standing there pretty much looking out the window, I didn't see what caused it or if there was an impact. So you have no idea right oh, now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. <gasps> Right. Oh, my God. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Flew right into the middle of it. Explosion. My God, it's right in the middle of the building. This one into the East Tower. Yes. Yes. as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. You can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents, and you can see the two towers. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way! We have to prepare people uh, for the um, overwhelming uh, reality that the chance of recovering anyone alive is very, very small. It's incredible, isn't it? Even even listening back to it there, some of those reports, particularly the woman who was reporting about the first plane going in and everyone just thought the first plane going hitting the first tower was an accident and then as she's watching it to hear her say there's a second one after hitting it's just and as I say it's 20 years ago and as Martin who was in New York at the time says it feels like it was only yesterday Mary O'Shea says Patricia I was on a day off I was cooking I had the TV on and when I first saw it I thought oh that's a movie couldn't believe what I was seeing I cried and I cried it affected me more as we had been at the Twin Towers a year to the day before my husband, sorry, my brother had died in New York and we were over there for his funeral, says Mary. And a year to the day uh, she was over there. My goodness. Um, hi, I was at my mam's just about to collect my son from Christian's school. My husband texts to say his cousin was at the Twin Towers. Uh, it took hours before we heard that he was fine. And Emma said, I was after ditching school and I was in the shop buying cigarettes and I saw it on the TV in the shop behind the counter. I 
I'll tell you what, says Emma, I went back to school after that. It just, I just got so scared for what was going on in the world. Your thoughts are welcomed throughout the morning of your memories of 9-11 20 years ago. Where were you and what was your reaction? Where were you when you heard the news? John Paul taking your calls at 1850 You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This week, the Sinn Féin Party launched their gambling policy with Cork TD Deputy Thomas Gould, pledging to bring legislation before the Dáil to ban the use of credit cards in gambling. To find out more, Deputy Thomas Gould uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Do you believe many people gamble with money they simply don't even have by using a credit card? Yes, we do. And we've, we've, we know this because people have given us the stories about uh, how they've gambled away their, uh, their savings, their family savings. Uh, there was one lady who described how uh, she almost lost her house and another lady told us how they did lose their home because of their partner's gambling addiction. Um, another lady explained how she had gambled every penny that she had and that she could get her hands on, that she could uh, use her credit cards and anywhere else. So, And what we also know, Patricia, is that there are 55,000 people uh, in, the, in the state at the moment who have a severe problem with gambling. And this study was done by Manu College. So what we're saying is, it was actually last month I, I launched our, our 26 county strategy and what I said is I would bring forward legislation and motions over the next couple of months trying to force the government to act on this. So this is the first step on the policy that we launched to try to deliver it and what I've asked is for all party support and none that this isn't about politics, this is about vulnerable people who are gambling money they they, they don't have and can afford and getting themselves and their families into terrible trouble. And, and, and we really need to focus, Thomas, on young people getting involved in gambling before they get on that road to addiction. Yes, and like if, if you look at my policy, Patricia, I, we have a number of other me- measures which we want to bring in to protect young people. But the problem with that is we need a gambling control bill uh, the government had one ready in 2013, which is on the shelf. And then there, there was another one developed, an updated one in 2018, which still hasn't been implemented. implemented. And that's what I, I'm trying to force the hands now to, to start this work, because what we would do is we would ban all advertising for gambling uh, before the watershed. We will also bring in age verification at the moment for some sites you don't have to prove that you're over 18 for 72 hours. So you have young people gambling for three days and then they go in and they set up another bogus account and they can gamble away. And we also know that, especially during COVID, how young people were targeted online and in social media by gambling companies. So what we're, there are, these are extra measures we're hoping to tackle. But for the moment, the first thing we can do legislatively-wise is to bring forward this legislation to ban the use of credit cards for gambling online and in stores. Yeah, I mean, but isn't there talks of a gambling regulator being appointed and and what difference will that make? Well, 
we want the gambling regulator appointed, but the problem was this has been promised for eight years. And my fear is that if we don't move now, it will be years and years before it's acted. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to encourage the government or push the government into bringing forward this legislation because like, what we have at the moment is we have no regulation. And for most people who listen to your shorts this morning, who like a flutter, who like to have a gambling, a gamble, this bill will mean will not affect them in any way. But for those who are risk, those who have a problem with gambling, or those who are in addiction, what I'm trying to do is trying to protect them and their families. And this is the first step on the road to yeah, doing that. And, you see, and, and the way people gamble, Thomas, has changed so much over the years. I mean, there was yeah. a time when somebody who was involved in gambling and had an addiction had to wait for the betting shop to open. The betting shop was open for so many hours a day and they'd have to wait to go in, place their bets, and that was it. Now you don't even have to leave your bedroom and you can you can lose all your savings and add up a huge bill on a credit card. And that, that's the problem with gambling, Patricia. Is it's, you don't see when people are in trouble. If you're an alcoholic or if you have a problem with uh, drugs, these are, you, you can see those addictions. You can see it on the person's behaviour, on the person's health, how they look. But with gambling, you can have a person who's operating normally, who's living normally, going to work, uh, dropping the kids to school, uh, going up to a local GA match, and no one knows that that person is just after gambling every penny in that house that they are money they don't have. And what we're trying to do is by doing this, at least if people can't gamble money they don't have, it's it's a, it's a first step in trying to protect people. Yeah, and just adding bills and and. Debt onto debt, uh, and as you say, gambling is such a hidden addiction. And many families living with an addict, w- there's been so many cases where it hasn't been identified until the yeah. debt has literally spiralled out of control. As you say, there's been cases of people losing losing the roof over the family's head, not just their own head. And the thing about gambling, Patricia, is it affects everyone. You can be you can be young, you can be old, you can be uh, you could be working class, you can be a solicitor. The, the thing about gambling addiction is, and gambling problem, problem is that it's not one specific area. You know, it goes, and we're after getting a really positive response to this. And what people are saying is something needs to be done now. They're really happy we're doing it. And what, I, what I'm saying to the minister and to the government is, like, we'll fight now you over a lot of things, but sometimes there are certain things where you can take the politics over it and just do the right thing for the right reason. And that's what I think we could do here. And if we can get a gambling control bill and a regulator to regulate all the advertising and to license these companies to ensure that they behave properly. Because, like you see in the European Championship recently, you see in the last World Cup, the amount of advertising gambling advertising that's appearing on your TV. And, and you know what, what what annoys me and, and I've heard it from a lot of listeners who often give out about the amount of gambling ads. They make it look like this is just a bit of fun. Get involved here. It's just a bit of fun. And Patricia, for a lot of people it is, right? For the majority of people it is. But the problem is these ads are going out a time where families are sitting down at home watching the TV together or having their dinner together like, there was there was an ad on the, on the television the other day where it must have had a half a dozen of Premiership soccer players on it. 
No, for a lot of young people who would be interested in soccer, they're looking at that then. They're looking at their idols mm-hmm. on television promoting gambling. If we, if, if Sinn Féin and if I have my way, I, I want no ads after, until after nine o'clock at night. And we're actually, uh, we're looking at trying to protect people and the amount of online advertising. So what, what we're saying here, Patricia, is this is a start. We're not going to fix everything in the one go, but for the families that have an addiction in their house or a, a, a family member, at least they know that they're not losing. Like, we've dealt with people who've lost their homes. Yeah. Imagine losing your home yeah. and not know yeah. And I and I I do think the advertising one. Like I can see a lot of people saying the, the we need to do something about the ads. And we're not we're not asking anybody to reinvent the wheel. We already have alcohol ads yes. have to be after the watershed. So it's an easy enough uh, thing to do. Another listener is saying problem gambling is actually far more widespread than anybody knows. And even that figure you quoted at the start, fifty five thousand. It probably is even higher than that because it's such a hidden addiction, Thomas. Yes, and it's so people are so secretive about gambling and about like everyone. Like a lot of people would have a bet on the Grand National, and you would have a buster at home or a work or whatever, and that's fine. But a lot of people gamble, and it's like it's during denial. During denial, they have a problem, and that's part of the addiction when people. Like, you know, like, you often hear people talking, um, you have to admit you have a problem before you can try to solve it. And a lot of people uh, won't admit that. So we reckon the figures are much, much higher. Mm. And what we're also looking to do is we're looking to do a full gambling prevalence survey. They do these in other countries. And what that does, it goes to the heart of how bad the situation is that you would conduct a really in-depth survey to see and then when you know how bad it is, we could in place put in place services, counselling, uh, we can work with people and work with service providers to help. Because we're looking like we want to deliver a leaflet. Uh, so if if you have a person in your family, you look at this leaflet and it tells you who to contact. We're also looking, would you believe, Patricia, there's no advertising uh, there's no educational program in our secondary schools to let children or young p- people know about the risks of gambling. That's the first thing we should be doing. We should be going into the young people, letting them know how they, how they can be manipulated by advertising, big companies, and the risks that are there. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Liz in Kinsale says gambling ads should be banned full stop like they did with cigarettes. Cigarettes never broke up a family unlike gambling and uh, alcohol. Uh, if Liz had her way there'd be a total ban on all ads. And Thomas, is there enough support for people who end up with a gambling addiction in this country or is that something that needs to be looked at? As you would you believe there is no specific gambling addiction sources in this state. Wow. No. And what we're trying to do, the HSC tells us it comes under the drug and alcohol addiction services, but they're completely different. Uh, we, we work with groups, and what we're trying to do, and part of what we would do is we would put in a fee or a levy on all these gambling companies, right? And the fee they would pay or the levy would depend on the type of gambling they're involved with, because some gambling is more addictive than others, and it, and the gambling companies that are the most addictive should pay the most. And 
there's that money then should go into counselling, services, education. So it's not costing the country any money. These country, these companies are making billions upon millions. And that lady who said about an overall ban, we certainly consider that as well. But what we're trying to do is deliver change straight away. And we were thinking of the watershed as something we know we could deliver. Well, it certainly would, would protect would protect younger people. OK, listen, it's an issue I know we'll come back Patricia, to. Patricia, there was one other point I just wanted to make. Yeah. I, I was on with you a few times over the last 18 months. And it was just to let your listeners know about how South Dock and Blackpool reopened on Monday. Fantastic. Yeah, and I, I, I said, you know, I just wanted to thank you gave us great coverage to be fair to everyone in 103 and the, your listeners' support with our petition and online and comments. Uh, so I just want to thank everyone. It was a really great job and it just shows you what, you, what we can do when communities come together to stand up. So okay, but, and it's back up it. and open as it was before. Well, it's the, the, the hours are slightly different, but okay. we're working on that. Well, at least, at no least there's a service there. Yes, it's now open every evening from 6 to 11 okay. until 5pm on a Saturday and Sunday. So okay, good news. It's a great first step. A good news story. Thomas, thank you for that and thank uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Sinn Féin Dáil Deputy at uh, Thomas School to 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie You can see a lot of people sending in their memories of 9 11 and where they were 20 years ago I will return to those but I want to move on because the security system to tackle text fraud is being launched here in Ireland called the SMS Sender ID Protection Registry. The system was developed by the Mobile Ecosystem Forum and it was piloted in the UK. Joining me there CEO Dario Betty. Good morning to you Dario. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're, well, you're very welcome to the programme. Has the UK seen the same level of text scams as we have here in Ireland? Absolutely. It's, uh, it is a global phenomenon. And we are MEF, we are a not-for-profit, so we, we, we work globally as a trade association for everything mobile. And so we get to speak to mobile operators in different countries. I can tell you US, uh, Brazil, South Africa, Singapore, it is really a global phenomenon. Now, we've heard how bad Ireland has been hit the last year, um, but definitely it is not only Ireland out there. And has the problem of, of scam texts got worse during the pandemic? Oh, yeah, oh yes. Um, you know, these are fraudsters, are really your gangster out there. They, they, they couldn't do other things, and they were really focused on what everybody had to do, which was using your mobile phone and to move money, etc. Plus all the things that happened in terms of uh, uh, um, subsidies and help from the state. Now, just in the week in which we were operating in the UK, the week of the shutdown, the lockdown, we had uh, 300 different attempts which we were able, uh, able to, to stop um, thanks to the registry. Um, the level uh, from uh, the government uh, here, the national health uh, system and um, some of the HMRC, the, the, the local agencies uh, for distributing the full loan helps. They were really targeted heavily. Um, and nothing, I should say, is more important than having customers out there, me, you, being careful. Um, but there's some good news, and then some of the technology we, we see. 
been and uh, to be in place can limit limit uh, some of the spread of, of these uh, uh, of these dangerous uh, uh, solutions. Yeah, unfortunately, you can't stop them all. But can you explain how your system works? Uh, yes, I, I hope I'll try to be simple because sometimes you can go into a lot of technologies. But if I look at my phone and my SMS inbox, there are three types of messages there. One is the message from my mother, etc. And uh, usually that doesn't include if it's, in, it's simple because you have your your phone uh, has got your contacts and then it matches. So there's a certain number with a certain name <clears throat> and you do know them one by one. So that's not usually the problem. Then there are two other uh, attempts they, uh, and, and that are interesting in, in my inbox. One is uh, the numbers which I don't recognize. The phone doesn't recognize. It's not in the memory of my contacts. And you do get a lot of messages from them. Sometimes they're proper messages. They just say, you know, it might be my dentist telling me that my appointment has been changed. And it all happens uh, automatically in the background. But uh, you need to be extremely careful. If you have the number out there, uh, it's effectively... It's a stranger, somebody you haven't spoken most probably before. So do not give any sensitive information. Your password, do not click on any link. That's important. However, there's another type. And uh, even if you don't have in your contacts the name of your bank, you might see that it appears there. I could say maybe your government, uh, uh, your, your the health system, um, all of those uh, pay a bit more to make sure that they can act those, uh, let's call it headers, there's messages with their names on top. It's something that mobile operators can do. And that's usually a sign that you could trust them a bit more. Uh, I should say usually, because we have to be careful. Processors have managed to copy that as well. Or sometimes to uh, make some ch- uh, small changes, spelling mistakes, and present to be their company just by the fact that it kind of looks similar. So that's what this solution really tries to help. And this solution is nothing more uh, than putting together some of the banks, some of the government agencies and some of the mobile operators to really clean up a bit who's allowed to do what. It's a complex system in, in the end, but thanks to the collective support, we can make sure that some of those banks really are who they are and we can make sure that somebody that tries to uh, pr- pretend to be somebody else is rejected. Um, so the good news for you is always be um be careful. Never give your information away. Stop, stop for a second, five seconds. But if you can see uh, from this weekend uh, forward, you should be able to probably relax a bit more when you see the name of uh, the the bank, the merchant. The business the are the yeah revenue commissioners was one trying to tell you revenue that the tax man was giving you money back. And as you say, as you say in the UK, the NHS over here, it's the HSC, and people were getting calls that texts that looked like it was coming from the HSC, but it was a scam. Okay. So the businesses and the organisations, Dario, they need to register with you. Is 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 that how it works? Um, yes, they, they, it's the businesses themselves that need to put forward. Currently, we have nine businesses out there, um, businesses and government agencies, I should say. Uh, that would include banks, utilities, uh, uh, and uh, some of the government agencies themselves. <clears throat> We're not telling who they are for a simple reason that um, then the fraudsters will be able to say, well, they're protected, we'll go after the others. Okay. Um, but over the next few months, uh, we want to see how things uh, you know how things go and how good the system is to protect them. We would love to have all the major uh, players out there that have got that type of relationship where you 
share password and financial information uh, with them. Uh, that will be, you know, our goal. But um, the good news, as I said, we've launched it in UK, and some of the banks reported uh, the overall fraud level reduction in terms of money wise by eighty percent or brilliant, 60%. brilliant, That's brilliant. So, so it, it it is working. And these fraudsters, Dario, that operate these scams, they're all based outside of Ireland and and outside of the UK. Is that is that why it's impossible for the police to stop it? That's, that's part of it. And interestingly, um, we don't know where they're based. Now, they can virtually be based somewhere else because everybody can hack into your and uh, send a SMS from everywhere in the world. Some of them have got uh, activities outside that they might well be based in Ireland, in UK, in the EU, or in other countries. So it becomes very difficult to trace them back. And uh, it's a problem, as I say, everywhere and these 49 percent of uh, global mobile phone users we test them and so on are actually saying that they are worried about that so i think that's where the entire industry has to do something because the, the trust into mobile the banking system and, and the government is really fundamentally based on this one as well can mm. they communicate safely yeah. Okay. Listen. Uh, well done to your uh, your company. And it always frustrates me that these fraudsters have obviously an intelligence level when it comes to IT that they can operate these scams. That why they don't use their knowledge and their expertise for good rather than from bad. But obviously these guys are making money out of it, and that's why they'll continue. Continue. Good luck to your company, Dario. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Patrick. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Dario Batty there, CEO of Mobile Ecosystems Forum, who are about to launch in Ireland this SMS sender ID protection register that will protect us from some of the scam texts that we have been receiving. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Can I dedicate that to Christy Butler, who I'm told is a big fan of the programme, always listening. Don't know where you're from, Christy, but I got an email in, asked to say hi to you this morning. So good morning to Christy Butler. And thank you to lots of people sending in their memories of 20 years ago and 9-11, including Sheila in Mill Street, who said we'd workmen in the house at the time as I was getting a new kitchen fitted. The TV was on and I remember walking in thinking, are they watching a movie? And then suddenly I realised it was American TV uh, was on and it was was just on uh, Relay as, and we continue to watch the events unfolding. I think of it often when I am in my uh, kitchen and you'll always remember when your new kitchen, you know when somebody, when you when you say to somebody, when did you get that new kitchen fitted? God, I can't remember, was it 10 or 15 years ago? You'll always remember exactly when you got the kitchen fitted and Joan has a very special reason for remembering 20 years ago tomorrow because Joan's son got married on 9-11-2001. She said we were actually at the wedding when we started to hear what was happening in the States. I can clearly remember, she said, we all stood around watching it on TV. In fact, it was a wedding. We continued on with the wedding, but there was an unreal feeling after what we had witnessed on the TV. Uh, hi, Patricia. No name on this. I was just after starting third year in secondary school and I was waiting to go into my English class after the lunch break at 10 to 2 on Tuesday, the 11th of September 2001, when the first plane hit the World Trade Centre. 
And then our English teacher uh, made each of the class write a report about a terrorist attack and what had happened that day in the US of A. And I'll never forget either that exactly a year later, on the first anniversary of 9-11, I was receiving my junior certificate examination uh, results before heading into fifth year in school. It's just hard to believe how quickly the 20 years go, doesn't it? It seems to go in the blink of an eye. And Nora in Bishopstown is talking about the Garden of Remembrance uh, just outside Kinsale. On the way to Garrettstown, it's the garden where there's a tree planted for every firefighter that died on duty on that day. That actually, Nora, was the garden I remember I mentioned earlier. It's the Ring Finnan Garden of Remembrance. It was founded by Kinsale native Kathleen Murphy, who worked as a nurse herself in New York for over 30 uh, years and actually that was the site yesterday of the commemoration that was held by the Mayor of Cork County Councillor Gillian Cochran uh, along with members of the Cork County Fire Brigade and they were remembering the New York firefighters who died on 9-11 and by the way when I mentioned what Gillian Cochran and the other fire, the firefighters had done yesterday in commemorating 20 years since uh, 9-11. That video tribute is actually available on the Cork County Council's YouTube if anybody wants to see it. I must try and watch it uh, later on the uh, afternoon. But thank you, Nora. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful uh, garden. And says, hi Patricia, it makes me so sad listening to you talking about the Twin Towers, imagining all those poor people that were on the planes, the horror that they went through. May they all rest in uh, peace. Yeah, I just can't even try and think of what it must have been like to be on a plane when they realised uh, what was going on and then remember the brave people that were on the plane the ones that brought the plane down in Pennsylvania how brave were they because that plane was heading to for another building as well and they managed to uh, crash it into a field instead knowing knowing the outcome for each and every one of them and Michael says like the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963 I clearly remember where I was when the Twin Towers was hit I was sitting waiting to be interviewed for entrance to St John's College in Cork City when the lady in question a lady by the name of Catherine Murray who was trying to set up the interview rather than dragging me back up from the parish of Allahies just said I'm passing by have you seen what's happened the Twin Towers have been hit that I will never forget my first day in St John's College the pictures and the mayhem we will never forget are those whose lives uh, were lost and it's interesting that Michael ties it in with remembering the assassination because I think for a younger generation it's the Twin Towers will be the one that when when they're in their 70s or their 80s you know in, in another 10 years 20 years 30 years time 40 years time people will clearly be able to tell children and grandchildren exactly where they were when they heard about the Twin Towers and there's another generation that can remember where they were uh, when they heard that John F. Kennedy had been uh, assassinated because we're hearing from so many people who were in school at the time uh, of it and it's it's kind of some, it's something that they will always remember and they will carry through uh, well in they're now adults but they'll they'll carry through until they have grandchildren and they'll be telling the grandchildren about being in school when they heard about the uh, Twin Towers Hi Patricia I remember I was building a house in Ballyclaw didn't have a radio uh, but it was only when I got home I heard it on the radio so then I turned on the TV it was like watching something out of a movie the scenes of those planes crashing into the Twin Towers my sister 
was working in Manhattan at the time. She could see the smoke from her work building. I went out to visit her a few months later and we actually visited the site of the Twin Towers. It was so eerie. And the steel structure, you know, the standing out from where the buildings were with the American flag on it, that was still there when this when, when Jim went to visit. It was a painful reminder of just what was left of the towers. There was a programme last night on TV about 9-11. Very interesting, said Jim. They were trying to get DNA from people who lost loved ones in the Twin Towers because some bone fragments were found on the roof of a bank 400 feet away years later when they had to knock it down as it was structurally unsafe. And they crushed the bone fragments to dust and they used some chemical and then they got some DNA from the bone fragments and identified more of the people who tragically lost their lives in such a horrific attack. It took some planning to organise and carry it out, says Jim. It did indeed. It did indeed. Uh, Thank you for that. But yeah, to have been at Ground Zero, as, as it's known, in the weeks and months after must have been a very, very eerie experience, Jim, and something you'll carry with you for the rest of your life. Alan says, Patricia, I was in school. We had a double free class of history when our principal came into the classroom and told us that the first plane had hit the Twin Towers. Then after a short time, the principal came back in and said a second plane had hit the second tower. So we all knew that something seriously was going wrong in America. We then said a prayer for all of those who were there. We got home from school and we were watching the scenes on the television. It was heartbreaking. And yet it feels like yesterday. 20 years have gone in a flash, says Alan from uh, Mallow. And you're right, it has gone in a flash. And that's why we think of the family who lost loved ones and to them the 20 years probably as well only feels like uh, yesterday. Uh, Shay says Patricia I remember being in my room tidying up and my dad came in and said the world is in serious trouble now. The World Trade Centre in New York has been hit by uh, a plane that's believed to be a terrorist uh, attack and the world really in many ways has never been the same again. Shay has it how right your father was and Jackie in Two Pot House says Patricia I was coming home from work along with my late friend Dawn we sat in speechless shock while Eric Griffin described the scenes from New York on the car radio he was doing the afternoon show here on C103 at home my dad was crying in front of the TV at the poor people we could see at the tower windows that image will never leave me said Jackie from uh, Tupac House thanks for that uh, Jackie and a post on our Facebook page said I was at work in the middle of negotiating a redundancy deal for 800 plus workers I was phoning all members of one shift about an upcoming meeting and this lady I was ringing answered the phone and she was bawling crying sobbing about a plane and a tower that was all I could understand couldn't really make out what she was saying I thought she was having a little bit of a meltdown about the fact that she was losing her job. I thought she'd hit the wine early in the day. I was so busy making all of those uh, calls that I hadn't switched on a radio or a TV. It was later on as I walked into the HR manager's office and I saw the look on his face. I knew something awfully bad had happened. 
he'd switched on the TV and he showed me. It was just surreal. The company we worked for were US based and we were also upset for our US colleagues. We hope and pray a repeat of this will never ever happen anywhere else in the world ever again. May those who perished rest in peace and their loved ones who remain behind find peace in their hearts and uh, minds and that's from somebody signed M. 1850 Our lines are open. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Pharmacy sales assistant is required for a busy pharmacy in Bandon. You need to send a CV to victoria.hine at havenpharmacy.ie. Longerville House in Mallow. They've got a vacancy for a kitchen assistant. CVs to be emailed to info at longervillehouse.ie Nova Hair that's based in Dunmanway they're looking for a stylist CVs please to novahairdunmanway at gmail.com and a motor technician with a good understanding of modern technology and diagnostics is wanted for Bandon CVs please to sclark at clarkbrothersgroup.ie You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Today is World Suicide Day, so it's timely for us to discuss plans for West Cork's first independent child and adolescent mental health services centre, which is due to open in Skibbereen. The centre will be run by suicide prevention charity Lichine's House. And joining me with more details, the founder of Lichine's House, Noreen Murphy. Good morning to you, Noreen. Good morning, Trisha. How are you? I'm very well, and and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Is there a big demand for such a service in West Cork? Oh, huge. Um, There's a a massive demand for child and adolescent services everywhere, and particularly in rural Ireland, because the lack of services is so evident. So we were so fortunate to be in a position to acquire a loan from Clown Credo to purchase this building. And it's going to also house free counselling, training and education to people of all ages. But we were in a position to do it simply due to the support of the people of, of, of Cork. Fantastic. And particularly West Cork. So we're delighted to be able to bring some good news today. Yeah. OK, talk, to me, talk to me about the centre, your plans for the centre and how it will be funded. Well, as you know, Lichine's House don't receive any state funding. So at the moment, we were able to obtain a loan from Clown Creda, which gives money to organisations. Well, it doesn't give it. We have to pay it back. I was just going to say that is a loan. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. All right, oh, God, yeah. And we'll need another 100,000 on top of that to revamp the building. So as soon as the all the paperwork is done, we will be embarking on a campaign to raise funds to um, to upgrade the building to the standard that's required. Does it need well, a lot of work? Um, it needs about eighty to 100,000 okay. of work on the top. Just the roof has to be replaced and there's a little bit of work to be done to it. But look, we've got the, the building, which is the main thing. And we've, we've managed to secure the money to, to buy the building and we were only able to do that really through the hard work of everyone that works with us in the organisation and the success of our furniture stores and our fundraising. 
So that is how that we were in, we are now in the position, and from the support of the people in our community and throughout Cork. And where where is it? In, it's in I mentioned it's on Skibbereen. Twenty four North Street, North Skibbereen. Street, North Street in yeah. in, in Skibbereen. Yeah. And Noreen, have you been working with children and adolescents today? Oh yes, you have. Oh well, God, yeah. I didn't realise oh, that. Yes, and there's massive waiting lists. You see, and you see, if it all come, it's also like today's World Suicide Prevention Day. And it's very apt because on the 9th of September, like my husband, Donal, lost his life 14 years ago yesterday. And today is the 10th of September. And it was this evening that he was brought down from the COH after his post-mortem. And I had spent two years banging on every door looking for services to help him and to help me and my children. And the legacy of a suicide on children and living and dealing with someone with a mental health issue, the trauma that children suffer is absolutely enormous. And I don't think anyone who hasn't been through it will understand the enormous effect it has on people growing up and their lives. And And, and every time you hear about another life lost to suicide, Noreen, does it bring you right back? Oh, I can remember... Everything up to Donald dying, I can, it was only like it was yesterday. I mean, I can remember looking out my bedroom window here at home and his first cousin was over cutting the hedges outside. And I couldn't understand. It was the hottest September that came. And I went out and I said, why are you cutting the hedges, William? And he said, well, because we want to have the house looking nice when Donald comes back. What you mean, my children? We didn't know what to expect. We were so traumatized by the time Donald ever died. Because he was so unwell and I every door I knocked on for help, it was closed in my face and my children's faces. And every time they locked that door on me, they shut in on him. And it was another nail in his coffin. So I had expected his suicide, to be honest, and so had my children. I was the last person to speak to Donald before he died and I think during his death. Because he gassed himself in his car in the local GAPH here at St. Columns, a place where he found sanctuary and joy as a child. But he died alone there. And he picked up his car, and I knew he was rigging his car, and I asked him to come home because it was dark. And I said to him, I can't go looking for you, Donald. I said, because he had my father's flash lamp in his boat. My car, the head gasket, had blown on it that day on my way from Cork. And my son, Tony, came to me and said, Mom, will we go looking for him tonight? But you must remember, my children's heads were hanging to the ground. We were like a jigsaw puzzle broken. There was nobody to help us. There was nowhere for us to go. And we just felt totally useless. And we felt lost hope. And you can imagine if we lost hope, how Donald lost hope. That man died because he had no hope. And he had no hope of getting any help or any services. And you can imagine him trying to build himself up. He couldn't. He was 39 years of age and he left me with his son whose life has been traumatised from the day his father took his life and before it. Because I'll tell you what my children suffered before Doral Murphy ever died. It was like being in a war-torn Iraq. And I think people need to be made aware of the lack of mental health services throughout Ireland, but particularly in rural Ireland. We're at the bottom of the pile here. Like we had a tragedy in Kerry last week we had North Cork and I met Una Butler who lost her beautiful two little girls, Zoe and Ella, the hands of their father. Me and my children, we were all on high alert before Donald ever took his life. 
because, you know, he was manic and he was getting more and more in a dangerous state of mind. But he took his own life and we were spared. But it hasn't been an easy road for me or my children. And did Donald Donal want help, Noreen? Yes. He desperately he wanted me it. for help every day. But he thought I could help him. He was so deranged. I mean, his mind was so far gone. But how could I was only one woman working full time with three children. I had no backing. I had no services. I had I hadn't the tools. I hadn't the education. I hadn't the training. I was one woman on my own living in a village. And I'll tell you, we know all about being isolated and feeling alone before and after he died. Because we know what it's like to feel so alone. And that is why I wanted to do something. I campaigned the government for years after Donald dying, looking for services and for answers as to how we were abandoned. We were both taxpayers. Donald has been working since the day he was 16 years of age paying tax. So was I. And I said, why were we not entitled to a health service? It's not like breaking your hand when you're dealing with a mental health service. You can go into a hospital, you can get a sling, you can get a cast. But it seems to be with the mental health services in this country that they can feel that they can close the door in your face. Donald begged for help and it wasn't there. And obviously he was a proud man. He was a, you know, he was a rural guy, came from a farming background. So he didn't understand what was going on with him either. And this is why, obviously, I call Lishine's house if people don't know it after our family home. That was the home we built. And Donald asked me before he ever died to bring him home. So I I brought him home because I had to keep my promise to him. And it was, it's just indescribable. Nobody will ever understand. I haven't been through it to realise how difficult it is to access help for people. Now, we applied for funding to the Stability Fund. The Stability Fund was brought out by the government to help organisations such as Lishine's House who help people in our communities. The first round, we got nothing. The second round, believe it or not, we got zero. Now, I got a letter yesterday from the minister saying, oh, we applied. I was going to say, God, that's very bright of you because we already know we applied. It took us hours to apply. And I wanted an explanation as to why there isn't one penny of that money come down to West Cork. All the big boys, got some of them got two rounds of funding and they're government funded. So I've been in contact with Holly, Christopher, Michael Collins. Michael called in to be fair to us. He met with me and he met with Mick and he understands the position we're in. And I now got a letter from the minister with no explanation as to why not one penny of that money, 10 million, came down to West Cork to serve the people of rural Ireland. So all the work that you've been doing, all all the work you've been doing with Lachines and now this new service for children and adolescents, is it's fundraised money, it's people who've donated. And people have been extremely good and annoying. But but I I think that's because they know the service you're providing. Patricia, there's many times I've wanted to give up. I have a full-time job. I, I've, I've, you know, I've, I'm tired. I'm human. I'm only one person. Now, I do have a team behind me and very, very good employees that work for us in our organisation at Lishine's House. We are blessed with the crew that we have and we wouldn't be able to do it without them. They're dedicated, they're committed and because the people donate to our charity shops and that's how we 
that's how we are funding our free counselling service. We have not one cent got from this government. And the shops, are, the shops are going well? They are, thanks yeah, they, to God, they are. Yeah, and yeah. that's down to the generosity of the people of Cork. It's down to our, our employees who are, who are absolutely brilliant. And the generosity of the people of Cork, I cannot thank enough. Because without them, there's anyone's son, daughter, mother, father, brother, sister is in trouble today. There's a massive waiting list. But they can ring me and I can get them seen. And if I can do that and I'm only one woman, where and why do people have to travel hundreds of miles and have waiting lists for sometimes up to two years to get people seen? Yeah, and, and I know when you talk about the children's services, that's the CAMS uh, service. Oh, the uh, is just, I mean, I was only reading a couple of weeks ago where they were talking, where the consultants were saying that the acute services, now that's the acute services yes. for CAMS, was at breaking point. Uh, oh, and yeah. that, you know, and you think, uh, wow, I can see lots of people are just saying how brave you are uh, to to share your story and, and people just wanting to uh, to wish you well and somebody else uh, is is wondering what does does Noreen feel that the pandemic has had a major effect particularly oh, yeah. on young people's mental health? Well it has of course because they were out of school They're, they couldn't play sports things they really enjoyed they couldn't meet, meet up these are normal things that we all grew up doing and that kids need to do. So it has a huge negative effect on their way of life and their mental health and their family life. Like people have come back from college, they're studying at home. Once again, people are working from home, so the adult, the parents have their adult children back. So it's hard on everybody, and particularly on young people. I mean, it's, it's a crisis for young people, and I don't think we've seen the... The, the full impact of it yet I think it's going to come down the road Okay, when so do you we're ho- preparing for that When do you hope to have the centre up and running in Skip? Um Well as soon as the paperwork is signed we're hoping okay. to have the building secured and we should have it up and running ASAP really because the downstairs of the building can be used so we can be working on developing the upper parts of it while we're using the downstairs of it Okay. So it shouldn't be that long. Okay. And in the meantime, people can support you through your oh, your shops. Um, if anyone wants to organise a fundraiser, I'm sure you'd be delighted They'd to hear from them. Absolutely yeah. delighted. Yeah. And, and they can donate to us by using our website, lichinshouse.ie forward slash donate. Right. And every penny that people donate to us goes directly back into helping somebody in their community. There's no money going to Dublin. There's no CEO salaries. And there's no big expense accounts. So we want we want services in rural Ireland. And I want to ask everyone listening today in Cork County to go to their local TDs and particularly in West Cork and ask why not one cent of that ten million of stability grant was given to an organization like Lichine's House who provides vital service to the people in their area. Because okay. we do not want any more families to suffer what me and my children suffered and still suffer every day because it doesn't leave you. You learn to live with it, but it doesn't leave you. And that's why it's so important for children to have access to services on their doorstep, not sitting into a car and travelling 120 miles to Cork City. I can tell it's, you, it's an she, impossibility to ask any family to do that in times of crisis and traumatized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, 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 listen, you're, you're, 
everybody knows what you're saying is so right and so proper yeah. and you should be fully funded. You shouldn't be on here trying to beg for people to do some fundraising or asking people to go into your, your charity shop. Well, people. I wanted to be on here as well to yeah. give people hope as well that there is somewhere for them to call and there is t- for them to reach out, to re- re- to reach out. out for help. Because do, do you believe, do you believe if there had been a facility like Lysheen's house, oh, yeah. do you believe it would have helped Donal? Well, it, it could have helped him. But we can't save everybody. They could have tried. Yeah. At least we don't shut the door in people's faces. And certainly it would have helped me and my children. And how are understand. the kids How are the kids doing, Noreen? They're, I mean, they're fine. I mean, you know, they're getting along. They're trying to get on with their lives. But, you know, it has left marks, obviously. You know, I mean, you know, childhood trauma has a lifelong effect on people. And that's why... We wanted to have something positive and my children are all for providing services and they know that they lost out. And if there was a place like Lachine's house when when donor was ill, because explaining to us how to deal with somebody and how to live with somebody who's in crisis and suffering, because that's the minefield to even understand what's going on with the person and how it affects your family everyday life. It affected their schooling. It affected everything. And then after he dying, if we had a place like Lachine's house, I would have been so delighted to be able to go down the road and access help for me and my three children and for somebody to sit us down and either to come in and offer us the support that we so badly needed that wasn't there for us. Well, you're doing and it I now do for others. And I Lachine's house. And I, I know it, even last week, I got a call on my phone. I actually fractured my collarbone, so I've been in agony for weeks. Oh, you poor I'm all thing. strapped up. But I was, I was so tired because sleep, I'm sleep deprived at the minute because I can't sleep. But I said, oh, I can't. And this woman rang me and left a message thanking me so much for giving her a service because she tried everywhere before us and she just wanted to ring to thank me. Oh, I thought it was somebody ringing to give me a earful or something. I know. And it just gives you that little bit of, you know, get up, don't give up, Noreen, keep going. Because we, the people, deserve this. And every child in Ireland, never alone, Cork or Cork County or West Cork, deserves this and deserves a service. You're incredible. Keep keep fighting the good fight and I the will. legacy. Even with uh, one uh, hand. <laughs> yeah, even with one hand. And and listen, Donald, wherever he is, is smiling down on you. And the legacy um, in his honour that you're doing is is just incredible. Noreen, we'll keep in contact with you. But yes, thanks a million sure. for joining us today. Thank I, you so much. I really appreciate thank it. You so much. Uh, thanks. Bye bye. And uh, as Noreen Murphy, the wonderful Noreen Murphy, founder of uh, Lachine's House, what a brave woman. Uh, says Kay in West Cork. She will get her reward. She should be so proud of herself. Michael says, Patricia, how are you? I'm here listening to Noreen, your amazing guest. So sad. The story she's telling about her beloved husband. What trauma, what sadness she and her family have been through. She's absolutely inspirational. She's the Katrina Toomey of mental health. I've seen how difficult mental health situations are with my own late mother who suffered from depression for many, many years. For anybody dealing with mental health issues, the services uh, are good if you can access them but it's completely hit and miss which is so so sad says uh, Michael Um, someone else is blaming the government for no uh, funding but at the end of the day it's we put the government in uh, says that person hi uh, Patricia 
my heart goes out to that woman speaking about the death of her husband. Oh my God, a woman with a great heart to talk about his death on the radio. I can hear her pain. That poor, poor woman. May she find peace and may her husband rest in peace. Stay safe and uh, stay strong. And uh, lots of people, you know, similar, similar st- text breather says Patricia listening to that wonderful woman I feel compelled to write I'll write to Simon Coveney too it will be more in his line to support this desperately needed service in West Cork than sending somebody like Catherine Sapone out to America on a made-up job I'm actually raging now says breather when I put the two uh, together Clonakilty International Guitar Festival is making a much welcomed return opening today and it runs across the next 10 days to preview this year's festival. I'm joined by Ray Blackwell. Good morning to you, Ray. Uh, hey, Patricia. Thanks so much for uh, uh, giving us a shout. Well, you're, you're, you're very welcome. We're not fully out of the woods yet when it comes to COVID. So is the festival a combination of live events and online events? Look, 100%, Patricia. We're, 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 we're not there 100% yet. Um, we're a community festival and uh, the community is always at the core of our events. Uh, in all the 17 years that we've been uh, programming it and uh, planning it. So we're conscious of that too. So with all the current safety guidelines in mind, which up until recently have even changed again, um, we programmed our festival um, to include hybrid performances, which is live streamed with a reduced capacity audience outdoor. We have outdoor uh, performances in a controlled environment. Um, We have um, some virtual online events. And also this year, uh, we're very excited to premiere our outdoor uh, guitar town cinema. So it's basically uh, we've recorded local uh, musicians and members of our community um, over the last six months, and we're going to present them uh, in a musical uh, program uh, over two nights of the festival and in an outdoor setting in an attempt to try to recreate that communal um, the, the communal aspect that music brings to us, but to do it in a, a safe. Uh, manner uh, under the current guidelines. That's brilliant. And where, where is the Guitar Town Cinema going to be? So the Guitar Cinema is going to be in Emmett Square. It's going to be yeah. on uh, Friday the 17th of September at 8pm uh, and it'll be over by uh, 9 o'clock just an hour screening and then it'll remain in Emmett Square on Saturday and we have a really exciting programme uh, with three screenings that day. We have a 12 noon screening a four o'clock screening and another screening then again at eight o'clock. And like some of the acts we have lined up for are amazing. Uh, they include uh, uh, Bill Shanley. Um, we have uh, performances from uh, students of Skull and um as well as uh, many other of our um, our really uh, integral parts of our musical community here and, and uh, some international artists as well. And you say you went out and recorded those over the last six months? Sure, yeah. Well, what a brilliant idea because uh, it gave the musicians as well something to do and, and, and a reason to pick up a guitar and play. Well, definitely. Like, so that's been a big part of, uh, certainly during lockdown, is um, uh, for, for musicians, uh, it's been great to have something to look forward to, something that they can talk about or promote. You know, the, the feedback that we got, it was, geez, it was great to tell uh, Billy that I was doing a gig, you know, for yeah. a guitar festival in this controlled setting. And again, all of those were controlled under the strictest of, uh, well done. of uh, well health done. and safety. Well done. And the virtual performances, Ray, and the hybrid perfor- performances, sure. the one plus to that is it opens you up to a much wider audience, doesn't it? Look, 
sense, I mean, a lot of people are kind of a bit tired of, of the online stuff now, but like there are benefits to it. And certainly like our, last year's festival was almost entirely, uh, well, it was entirely online, but with some live elements, uh, as in live streams. But also the way we look at it, it's a time and a chance for us to, uh, to document the current climate, what's happening, and we'll have those documents forever. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good uh, point. And, and uh, would there be lots of events on the street? I mean, to me, when I think of the Guitar Festival in Clonakilty, to me, some of the best ones were out on the street. Well, look, 100%. We were very conscious going into this that it's a very different Guitar Festival and we had to think accordingly. And, like, we, we, we couldn't be packing the whole town like sardines like we would have done for the last 16 years so, um, you know, we've had to strategically and uh, with, you know, great, um, like, measure and um, forethought plan where we're going to do our outdoor shows. And we're, we're fortunate kind of killed to be of some great spaces. Mm. We have a great team. And um, obviously, this is, like, we're not out of the woods yet. This isn't going to be the same as previous years. But we certainly feel it's as close as we can get to it. Absolutely. Under the Absolutely. It's a, it's a step in, in the right direction. And people can access tickets, even though I was looking on your uh, clanguitarfest.com. A lot of your gigs are sold out. A lot of the gigs are sold out, but again, it is at reduced capacity. Yeah. But there are some that are tickets left for others. I know there's John Francis Flynn, amazing uh, folk artist who's come out to uh, release an album this year. There's Sam Clegg, who's coming down with, with an amazing four-piece a stunning guitar player here from town and also we're we're so delighted that John Spillane has been he's almost a patron of our festival at this yeah. stage of the game he's playing uh, a very special show on Sunday the 19th of September we've reclaimed uh, Spillers Lane as our uh, as a ve- as an outdoor venue and this is something that we've never done before so that'll be at 7 o'clock and uh, there are tickets available for that and John's going to play with his full band so that's again it's the out- outdoors and um, socially distanced, but a chance for people to experience live music again in a safe, uh, in a safe manner. And there's nothing so, like John Spillane live. He's, he's, uh, Spillane he, is God. He is. He here. is incredible. And of course, this night week is Culture Night. You always sort of try and team in with Culture Night, don't you? Tie up with them. Uh, absolutely. The Guitar Festival has always fallen on uh, the same weekend. Uh, we like to think that Culture Night started because of the Guitar Festival. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> why not? Uh, why not? So we've so we've always uh, been involved in it. So we're really excited for that too. We have an amazing folk artist, uh, Danny Larkin, uh, who is uh, is tipped for, for for great things. She's performing an all ages show in the bars at six pm sharp on uh, Friday. Uh, tickets there are some tickets available for that. Now you have to register. They are free, but you have to register. And then also as another uh, addition to Culture Night is our Clan Guitar Fest uh, Cinema. With, uh, we have a very special screening. We're going to debut um, a Miles O'Reilly um, uh, film that he's made specifically for the Guitar Festival, and it was from a visit of two and throat singers to the 2019 festival. So it's mm. a really special uh, kind of out of this world kind of a uh, uh, that, um, that he captured. It sounds so, like a really exciting Clonakilty International Guitar Festival. We wish you luck with it, Ray. And for people who would like further details of times and if you see if you still get tickets, clonguitarfest.com is where you need to need to go. Good luck with it, Ray. Uh, Thank you so much for everything, Patricia. Thanks for joining us. Keep Good. on rocking. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Somebody's asking about, you know, the bingo is coming back and lots of people are delighted that the bingo is coming back and bingo is back on Monday nights in Butterfield. But somebody wants to know, are the buses running? You know, a lot of those bingos go ahead, but there was there there's buses go to the Hinchland and the neighbouring towns and villages to pick up people. So can anybody tell us for the bingo 
in Butterfant on Monday night. Will the usual buses be back up and operating? If anybody can let us know, please, 1850-333-103. Still getting a flurry of calls and texts in about my interview with Noreen Murphy when we're talking about World uh, Suicide Day. And of course, she spoke about her own husband, uh, Donald, and it was just, she's the lady is so brave and it was just so heartbreaking to hear her talk about the death of her wonderful husband and dad to her kids and the effect. I mean, I think she really brings home the effect that suicide has on those left behind, picking up the pieces and trying to get on with, with the life. I think whenever, whenever she talks about it, I think she, that's the one thing that always comes through, the devastation that is left behind. And I think of the people whose, you know, whose lives are lost to suicide. Do they ever reflect and think of what they will leave behind. I, I really don't think they do. I think the mindset that they're in at the time, because I think they would never want to leave behind that level of pain and destruction that's left in the wake of a death by suicide. Noreen, John was on to say, listened with interest to Noreen. And a lot of people are picking up on the fact of her trying desperately to get funding for the services that she's providing through Lishin's house in West Cork and now moving it on to the next level and going to be providing services to children and adolescents and anyone who has a son or daughter who is accessing the CAMS service once you get into CAMS and CAMS is the child and adult mental health services run by the HSE and once you get in they're fantastic but it's to try to get in and the waiting lists it's it's just incredible it is just incredible and you know Noreen touched on it with the pandemic the effect that the pandemic has had on children and if you were children who were any way suffering or had in any way for mental health the pandemic then escalated their issues and they are desperately trying to access the help that they needed and that's why she said they've decided in Lachines to extend the services they're offering to children and adolescents but she's got to go cap in hand and out fundraise she can't get any uh, money and a lot of people are picking up on that and John says instead of our government providing cronyism they need to provide what they're elected to do there's so much talk about Simon Coveney and what's been happening there over the Catherine Sapone affair when there are real world problems and people are suffering and listening to Noreen she desperately needs funding and Mike in Skibreen says I can't understand my Noreen and Lishine's house is not able to access funds from the uh, government they're supporting the music industry and they're telling the likes of Noreen and Lishine's house that they can't provide any money for mental health. It's a desperate, desperate situation that we find ourselves in. And some of your WhatsApps coming in with regard to Noreen. Lots of people just saying what a wonderful, brave woman Noreen Murphy is. I was actually crying listening to her, says this a texter. She's a great spokesperson for mental, mental health. She is indeed. Margaret says, Patricia, my dad took his life 15 years ago. I tell him the news every day as I look at his picture on the mantelpiece, you know, trying to pick up the pieces after the death of a loved one. And Anne says, listening to Noreen speaking now on the radio, my heart goes out to her and indeed to all of the people suffering. It's disgraceful that the government are not doing enough, particularly when it comes to funding for mental health. What a wonderful, strong woman, Suzanne, she is. And her kids are lucky to have her. They really are. And I know she desperately worries about her children, but they are lucky. They are so, so lucky to have her. And then still getting in a number of texts and calls in to do with 9-11. And we're remembering 9-11 because of the 20th anniversary and people remembering 
20 years ago where people were. Hi Patricia, I was working in a sandwich bar in South's Bar. That was in the Imperial Hotel. The TV was on and I glanced up and I saw the second plane hit the second Twin Tower. I thought that must be a movie, is it? Then customers started coming in from nearby offices and obviously offices don't have TVs and so they were coming in and they were watching it on RTV. It was all so, so sad. Mike said, my cousin on my mother's side was actually one of the firefighters who was on duty the day of 9-11 happened. All of his comrades died that day and they died by the time he got there. We rarely talk about it says uh, Mike isn't that interesting that people the pain attached to it that it's not, it's not even uh, spoken about That's uh, that doesn't surprise me though I think when you have that type of pain some people just don't it's their way of coping is not uh, to talk about it. Hi Patricia, I had started back to work in Blarney Woolen Mills in 2001, 20 years ago. My son rang me at work to tell me what was happening in America. The place was hopping, but when the news broke, the place literally just emptied completely. The girls at the front desk said they were inundated with people trying to get them to ring the US for them. One And of course, Blarney Woolen Mills full of American tourists and visitors. One man always sticks out in my mind. He had a son in the New York police force, but he had another son who was a firefighter. The man was absolutely distraught trying to get through to both of his sons. And I wonder what happened, because of course, obviously he was here as a tourist, would have got on a plane eventually and went back home to the US. I wonder, did his his two sons uh, survive that day? Ina says, Patricia, very, very sad, particularly on the firefighters of 9-11 who died on that day. One, did you know that one of the firefighters, his mother, was an Eileen Dennehy from the Tullig area of Mill Street? I didn't know that. God rest him, says uh, Ina. He passed away on that day. I didn't I didn't realise. But the, I, I did say that when it's now 10 years ago, I was over in New York just after the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And I went to the, the memorial. Wasn't open that long at that stage. But I spent so much time reading the names, remembering the people that had died that day, the almost 3,000 that had died that day. And I just couldn't get over the number of Irish surnames like that, Dennehy. It was just incredible. You know, like almost every second or third one, there's another Irish name, there's another Irish name. And it just struck me, these are the diaspora. There was 18 Irish people who died in the Twin Towers who who were carrying Irish passports. But then you add to those, all of those of Irish heritage. So there is definitely the Irish, there's a stamp of the Irish diaspora on the Twin Towers uh, for sure. Hi Patricia, I was sitting on the tractor listening to 2FM just after 2pm on 9-11 in 2001 and the late Jerry Ryan was speaking. I was stunned by what he could see on the TV and what he was telling us over the radio. I quickly tuned in to the BBC Radio 5 Live. Everybody there was caught for words. Up to then, I hadn't a clue about even where the Twin Towers were. I then found out a second cousin of mine in the States lost his good friend. His good friend was on flight 93, a gentleman by the name of Mark Bingham. He was one of the brave souls who tried to take back control of the plane before it hit the ground, says Michael. 
and they were that was the one the flight in Pennsylvania wasn't it flight 93 there's been there's been a couple of movies made about that but they were they were real real heroes those people on that plane for sure and there's Mike with the connection that his cousin knew one of the people on that plane 1850 John Paul continues to take your calls and you can text our uh, WhatsApp to 0862 Just there's another text in that came in earlier and for fear that I lose it with the amount of texts that are and WhatsApps that are there. And this is from Theo Park. To say, Patricia, could you announce that there's a drive-in concert at Theo Park this Sunday, half two in the afternoon. Music is by Checkers. Cahill and Teddy Barry and Jimmy O'Donoghue with admission 10 euro and it's a fundraiser to help with the renovation and upkeep of Theo Parks. That's next Sunday at half past two. And then yesterday a listener sent in a text and asked me had I watched the programme on the Rotunda Hospital that had been on the night before it had been on on Wednesday night and I hadn't but I said I'd watch it on Catch Up yesterday because there is a huge level of anger about this programme. Now this is, is this the second series of the Rotunda? It's one of those programmes like, what's that other programme, the one that that, that Channel 4 runs, uh, One Born Every Minute, where they're inside in a maternity hospital. They're normally lovely, lovely reality, fly on the wall documentary series where you see what's going on and, and you watch people in the throes of labour. Some people find them a little bit upsetting to watch uh, and others love the story and they give the backstory to it and some of the stories are you know of, of lost people who perhaps had difficulty getting pregnant, people who had lost babies and then you sort of you follow their journey and they're pregnant again and you're willing them on that they'll have the baby and then of course as the programme unfolds, baby's born and it's a happy ending and all of that and they're usually delightful programmes and as I say there definitely was a previous series of the Rotunda. This is a new series I don't know if it's the second but it's certainly a new series of the Rotunda that I didn't even re- realise that w- was, was going on. Now this it's aired on Wednesday. I think it's a six-part series, so there's five more episodes of this programme to air. But there are women and men, but women in the main, all over the country who are fuming about this programme. Anyone who has given birth during this pandemic, so anyone's given birth this year or anyone since the start of the pandemic in March of last year, are absolutely, I don't ever think I've seen so much anger online about this uh, programme. And the main reason that women and pregnant women and their partners are angry are the fact that the Rotunda Hospital allowed in unvaccinated film crew into the maternity hospital when the partners of the women who were giving birth had restrictions in place and they weren't allowed into uh, the uh, hospital. Uh, It's been labelled as tone deaf. It's been labelled as unethical by women who had to endure pregnancies without their partners by their side. Now, the hospital's stringent rules for husbands and partners has been the subject of much controversy. But the Rotunda, along with the other maternity hospitals all over the country, maintained the restrictions were necessary and they were necessary for the protection of the patients. And then little did people know, unless obviously you were in the Rotunda hospital, that the Rotunda had decided to leave in a film crew to record. Now, it's an independent production company made this film or made this series for RTE and they went in from last November through 
I think it's right through to August but they certainly started the filming last November and of course the big question that people were asking was were they vaccinated and I remember straight away saying well they couldn't have been vaccinated because if they started to go in there in November we didn't have a vaccination programme in place and I don't know what age the film crew were but you could surmise if they were a young film crew they certainly when the vaccination started in January February, March it was the older cohort it was people in nursing homes it was healthcare staff it wouldn't have included film crew for sure so I don't know when the film crew managed to get vaccinated so there certainly was a block of that film filming being done where the crew weren't uh, vaccinated and I see uh, Linda Kelly who we've spoken with on the programme Linda is from Glanmire uh, she actually had a baby during the pandemic and she is part of that group Better Maternity Care I see Linda is in a lot of the papers uh, today she's calling for the Health Minister once again to end the partner restrictions in maternity units because they're still there they're still and every single hospital seems to be different when it comes to the rules and regulations around partners going into maternity hospitals. Uh, Linda is speaking in the Irish, the Daily Mail today. She said she regretted watching the programme on Wednesday night. She said she's had hundreds of women message her about it. She said as somebody who was pregnant during the pandemic, we feel invisible anyway. She said it's dehumanising and then to see that experience totally written out she said it really really was very upsetting. She said it's a disappointment. How did this ever go ahead in the first place? There are very serious questions about the judgment of the hospital management to let it go uh, ahead. Filming took place from November of 2020. Oh it was through to September of this year. Now they say RTE are saying and the production company are saying that strict protocols were in place and you know I absolutely accept that and, and they accept that they to reduce the footfall the bare minimum was allowed in to do the filming and a lot of the filming was recorded on remote cameras and or there was only a single person who was operating what would normally be a two person crew and they did you know they did everything to reduce the footfall but that's of no use to pregnant women who went into appointments who went through into a Appointments where there were scans, where they were being given bad news. Women who had to go in, who got the news to say that they no longer had a heartbeat and then had to go into the hospital for the for the miscarriage and they had to go into the hospital on their own. I remember like last year, uh, a, a lady talking to us when we were talking about the restrictions and she was talking about she unfortunately lost her baby and she had to go into the hospital for the, the D&C, isn't that what it's called? Uh, when it turned out that her, her baby didn't have a heartbeat and she says her husband dropping her off with her little bag and she walking into the maternity hospital on her own and it was the loneliest walk of her life knowing what she was ahead of her and she said for her husband he sitting in the car watching her walk in carrying her little bag all all on her own and for women who've gone who went through that and then you know women who went into hospital and the partners weren't allowed in until they were into the stages of labour and people being very afraid and very scared if you're on your particularly if I think if it's a first delivery you want somebody with you all the time reassuring you telling you it's okay and not to have that and I know the hospital staff have been doing the very best that they can but you know midwives are run off their feet and you know, they can only allow so much time to every individual patient So, and you know if they get a night where there's a lot of 
women delivering at the same time. They can't give that level of one-on-one to, to everyone. And that's where a partner, a birthing partner, or your husband, whoever it is, can offer that little bit of support. And for so many women, they've had very, very traumatic deliveries. And then to switch on the TV and to see this programme. Now, as I say, I watched it on Catch Up, if anybody hasn't uh, watched it. And the first episode, I was saying, OK, let's take a look at this. And I started watching it before I knew that there was a lot of criticism attached to it. And I was saying, OK, surely they're going to show how difficult the restrictions were. Now, unless the next five episodes turn it around and it does reflect how difficult the pandemic has been, on pregnant women, there certainly will be a lot of questions uh, to be asked. We might get Linda uh, Kelly to come back on to us maybe after the second episode next week. But I'll watch with great interest to see will that part of the pandemic story for the Rotunda Hospital Will that be shown? 1850 I don't know if, if others watched it and others were of the same view. Or do people watch it and just see lovely programme about babies being born? Your thoughts welcome to you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do. Kushla Avendu are having enrolment night tonight at the Nanonagel Centre in Killavollen. It's on from 7pm to 9pm now. Due to COVID restrictions, this is for new students only. You can contact Kushla Avendu on their Facebook page or you can call them at 086 037 4166. Kildare have a drive-in bingo that's on tonight, 8pm. It's in the Creamery Yard uh, tonight. Ballonhasset Community Development Association, they've set up a GoFundMe page for donations towards the resurfacing of the Marion Hall car park to donate. You can go to GoFundMe.com and search for CBCDA, Ballonhasset Community Development Association. Our donations can be dropped off into Cottrell's shop. And Dromahan Classic and Vintage Run will be held next Sunday. The entry is €10 Euro per car and registration will be in the Drumahan Community Park at half 11 on Sunday morning. Court Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And I've been asked to wish everyone the very best of luck for the ring fishing competition that's happening this weekend in Ring a Village just outside uh, Clonakilty and also best of luck for the crowning of the Ring Rose that's happening on Sunday night in Kitty Max Bar. Doesn't that sound so normal to be reading out things like that? We're very, very slowly getting back to uh, normal. More of your thoughts coming in on 9-11. Hi, my name is Mary. I was living in Boston at the time of 9-11 and I was in college. Now, a great friend of mine was a flight supervisor with American Airlines. His laptop was in for repair. So he stopped by my apartment and said, can I use your laptop? And I said, of course, no problem. He said, I'm actually swapping up shifts for two flight attendants. One wanted 9-11 off and the other girl 
Aaron Sweeney is a great Irish name name opted to swap and work the shift oh my goodness poor Aaron perished on one of those planes hitting the Twin Towers oh my god and she wasn't even due to be on, on, the, on the flight I know there's a lot of what ifs and I often think about it it's so awful what happened but who was to know two of the hijackers literally stayed at a hotel very close to our apartment and little did we know it was the worst day ever in America and it certainly changed everything up forever. So may I just say, live life to the fullest. My God, there's... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage... Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW a memory to have. Thank you for that. And we remember Aaron Sweeney, who definitely, definitely had Irish roots, who was obviously helping out another friend and said, yeah, I'll cover your shift. You can have the day off. And little was she to know. May she rest in peace. Now, another Mary's contacting me. She's on the phone. Good afternoon to you, Mary. Hi. OK, I'm very, I'm very well, thank you. You were working in Rocha stores. Yeah, Trish, at the time, yeah. Um and you know the days I suppose so clear in everybody's mind and I used to go home to my mum at lunchtime I was a grand walk you know about 25 minutes up the road and back and a, a great bit of exercise so I had been up at home having my lunch around uh, I think I was on two yeah two o'clock lunch so I'd have been there about 20 past two and my dad used to watch something Lord to mercy my dad he'd watch something every day about two o'clock on the telly so he won't be tired nobody could get near the telly <laughs> so we didn't hear anything about it so I headed off back to work and I was actually going down Barrack Street and I went into the Flying Enterprise because I needed to get a few stamps and it was a Tuesday and I knew the post, the GPO would be jammed, they said, right. 
every five minutes it was vital when you're trying to get back to work for three o'clock so I went in to get the stamps and the guy behind the counter like he was, he was I was standing there two or three minutes and he kind of wasn't taking any and he said isn't that awful so I said what and he pointed to this tiny little telly he had little tiny little thing now like the size of your hand he said didn't you hear didn't you see look and just as I turned I just saw this thing hitting I said what's that that film he went that's America there's a plane after him and I went what so like I was standing there a few minutes watching it with him and I just was in disbelief and I actually left the shop I didn't even buy what I went in for and I walked back to work and I remember it just passed at the time I didn't believe it we didn't even have, I didn't deliver more by phone so I rang back home I said to my mother turn on the television quick so I walked from the Grand Parade down there was nobody in Alva Plunkett Street so I'd say I saw two people I was kind of my mother God what was going on there was nobody around went back in the door of Roche's stores and shop was empty and like I spoke to a few of my colleagues and said what's going on and they said look they had the television and they had the radios on they said look what's after happening so like we were just in disbelief so they put a radio on over the tannoy inside in the shop so everybody could kind of keep up to date with news and the announcement was made over the the loudspeaker inside like that there had been you know a big incident in America and I was working in the back office that day because we used to do signs for the, um, you know, we were doing signs for the shelf edges, you know, and I yeah. just happened to be doing that work that day. Like, normally I might have been out on the floor, but that to the Tuesday, we were getting the things ready for the next day. And we got a radio and we had it on, and myself and Fiona, and Fiona and another one of the girls, I think it was Linda, there was three of us down there, and Colm, the manager, was in the house. And we were listening to the radio, like, and we were just, you know, in shock, but... The shop was empty. There was no customers. Yeah, isn't there that? Was, that's yeah. It's yeah. everyone was in total disbelief, and it was disbelief. something obviously yeah. that was happening thousands of miles yeah. away. But the effect that it had yeah. on, as you say, streets just empty, shops just empty. empty. The shop People empty. just went yeah. home. Everything and like we, we had a girl in my club, as you know, I'm involved in the Camogie and in Glen Rovers. One of our girls I knew was in America. I was in because I knew she was gone out there. She was a student at the time. She was a young girl. And her dad was one of our coaches. And I knew she was out there. And um, I was just like, oh, caught, you know, it was in a state over her. And when I got home, I contacted her dad. And he said, yeah, they had contacted her. She was safe. And they were trying to get her home. And like, but it was awful. Like, my sister-in-law's nephew actually was working in New York. He was actually working in Wall Street. You know, he's here at home since he's home over was he from 16, 17 years he transferred back in his job but I knew he was working near as well and I was trying to contact my sister not to know was he okay and as it transpires I had a cousin who was actually a fireman fire walking in oh. 9-11 yeah and um, my dad's my, my grandmother's sister which would have been her grandson which would have been like he'd be my, my nan and his nan or would have been sisters you know but at the time, we just knew of them, but we didn't have contact with them. But subsequently, through another cousin, we have made contact. Maybe we're in contact with them now, maybe 10, 15 years. And it's well, lovely. Fabulous, yeah. And he's still working in the fire department in New York. He works on the, um, you know, he goes up and down the river on the fire tender. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he's still working. And like every year now for 9-11, I have a beautiful photograph of him. And he's sitting on the fire tender drinking a bottle of water with his colleagues and it's a photograph I put up every year for 9-11 and I've actually just been looking at his page there now and he has um, he has the fire there's been a lovely ceremony in Kinsale 
Yeah, you know the garden, the remembrance I garden. Was t- I was talking about it there. Our mayor yeah. of Cork County was uh, Gillian yeah. Coughlin, yeah. I heard directly. Actually, yeah, it's up yeah, It's yeah. up online. You can you can see it yeah, on the Cork yeah, County Council yeah, YouTube. I must, look, yeah, I, must, yeah. Yeah, I must look at it. I'd say go yeah. very respectful yeah. and... Yeah. yeah. But is it, Mary, you know, the, the one, isn't it incredible that it is 20 years ago and we can remember it? But we can remember it like it was yesterday. I can remember, Lord, when I said, my dad, I can see him sitting inside the room and watching his thing. His, his, I forget now what he used to watch, but like my mother would have had on the radio in the morning for the cash call. But like she'd always kind of turn it down when I'd come in because she'd inevitably like, I'd be in the kitchen with my mother and the dog, Lord, world dog against it. And of course, like my mother and me, we'd be talking about matches and camogie and she'd yeah. have no interest in it. And she'd be waiting for me to come up and who was in this morning in the shop and what was happening. I was reading news. And I can, I can remember the day, that day because we had had a county board meeting the night before and I was telling her what had happened at the meeting. So like we would have, my mother would have turned on the radio because I would have come in and she'd have had the radio turned on and we'd have been talking in the kitchen. So like, because when I would out and mother, they normally went for a walk in the evening. So I rang fast to make sure she turned. And she went to me, what are you on about? And I said, Mom, quick, just turn on the news, turn on the television. Sure, I said, my dad were glued to it all night. But and like, that's what we did. We spent yeah. the whole time just oh, sitting. For, and and, and night, I smiled yeah. when I heard you say you had to run into a, a phone box. Yeah, and put I the, phone. The A and the B on, have, the, bo- on yeah. the on the phone. <laughs> I didn't have a phone. We, how long yeah. did we have mobile phones? Yeah, we, we didn't have them 20 years, years ago. Yeah. And yeah. somebody else Ooh. is saying, let us not forget Father Michael Judge. He was the chaplain he of the New York. He my head. Yeah, he does with me as well because he yeah. was the first officially recorded death of uh, 9-11. And of course, he was he was an Irishman, uh, Father Michael garden Judge. And is so beautiful. We've yeah. been to it a few times. We took My my mom has been down there twice and we've, we've went down a few times to say, and I go around to all the trees and I look at them, and my cousin actually was home now. I didn't, I've actually never met him, but like we were supposed to go last year. Oh, we were saying we'd go to New York, and um, I was intended meeting him, and um, but obviously COVID hit. But he has been there with another cousin of mine, Finmar, who brought him there, and um, you know, he he has the the, the ceremony that they did yesterday. He actually has it on his cage. Well done. Because there's 343 trees and each there bears is. the name of a New York firefighter and uh, who died. Father Judge. Yeah, yeah. Father Judge, yeah. All right. And as you say, you remember, you remembered like it was yesterday and oh. Mary, where we have Jan Camogie and all of oh, that. Yes, uh, and it's just, it's, it's Mary Newman. I'm, I'm talking about her and introduced you as Mary at the start. Well, What's what's your how how do you think it'll pan out the weekend? Um, well, I, I suppose obviously with Orla, Crone, yeah. Oat, Cork, you know, it's it's a big blow to them, and you know, I know the appeal is ongoing, and it's hopeful, but I would say just hopeful, and we're fingers crossed. It's a tough one. It's going to be a very very tough one for Cork, and um, you know, everybody's saying, oh, Cork would have been favourites the way they beat the champion, but like you must remember, Galway like got to the league final as well. You know, Cork, like, we were a handful, very young team, a lot of the more experienced players gone, but still a core of very, very, very good players. I have great faith in them. I think they're, you know, they're they're well able, well, well up for it. We have the players to do it. Galway have a few threats. I think Siobhan McGrath is going to be a huge threat up front to Cork. She's a fantastic young player. And, um, Saw them against Tip. I personally thought Tipperary threw the match away. I was at us, as you, as you know. Mm. Um, 
I was working with Diego for the second match uh, with Cork and uh, Kilkenny. I thought the way Cork won beat Kilkenny showed great heart, great determination. Cork are hungry for victory and determined to prove themselves. Obviously, I'm going for Cork. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's going to be tough, but I think Cork has the players to do it. I think they're playing very, very well. I was at the last training session last night. It's a thing myself and Linda Melrick have always done down through the years. Um, when, even in Linda's playing days, I'd always go to the last training session before the All-Ireland. And it's a thing I've kept up for all down the years. Myself and Linda were there last night. I took Ellie May, my niece, out with me to maybe, as I say, start a new tradition of um, having the next generation come into the last training session. They trained in horrific conditions last night. Yeah, they were very sharp. Yeah. They looked very, very sharp. Good. The lads are very focused on the sideline. And I really think, really, really think the Cork can do this and it would be absolutely brilliant. Be brilliant. Today. Be brilliant um, today. I just urge everybody, if you're doing nothing on Sunday, there are tickets still available. Great. Go on to that link, get, in, get into your car and get up there and support them. And the support women. them. You, you killed each other for tickets with the hurling match. Let the women do, do women. the same for the girls. Yeah, but I am just disappointed to hear that there are matches on on Sunday in other codes. I just think it's desperate, especially women's codes. I think women's sports should be getting behind the women's team. Unfortunately, we don't see this happening. We, we, we criticise maybe the GA for playing matches, and I know they have a tough calendar, but we need the women's. All courts and women's GA should be behind the girls. Yeah. It's awful to hear matches on a Sunday. I just think. Look, I won't go into it. All right, just so all right. Rebels, Rebels, Abu, uh, Mary. Uh, women can do it. And the women, women can do it. And of course, full coverage here on uh, C103. Full coverage on Great. all three. Okay. And look, get to the radio, get to the telly, get somewhere, but get to Cork Park. Okay. Listen, get Mary, enjoy. Up. Enjoy. Thank and thanks a million for joining thank us. Thank you for the lovely tribute to 9-11. No problem. Our pleasure. Thank you, thank you for joining us. That is uh, Mary Newman, uh, well known for her uh, work with uh, Camogie in uh, Cork as well, remembering 9-11. Let's take a break and we're back talking movies with Mark Malone. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Mary St. Patricia, when a funeral is going back to uh, normal, when will all the restrictions be lifted? As far as I know, funerals now are classed the same way as religious services. And the new guidelines on that since last, since this week, is it? 50% of the venue's capacity. So, whatever, if it's a very large church where the funeral is going ahead then they can have 50% of people uh, in there uh, and from what I can gather just doing a quick look online it, that's the way it's going to remain I think until we get to the 22nd of October but it certainly has increased from when there was only I remember being at a, a really sad funeral uh, during Covid and there was only 10 of us there there was something very something very obviously it was a very sad funeral in some ways there was something very comforting about having so few there and in other ways you wanted a big you wanted a big crowd you wanted to celebrate the life of the this wonderful man that had, had died and it's been a really tricky one for so many families but it's at 50% uh, Mary when will it be back to normal I'm assuming when all of the restrictions are lifted which is not going to happen until the 22nd of uh, October and Antoinette says Patricia I remember 9-11 vividly I was working in O'Connor in the Muscari Arms in Blarney. I will never forget the panicking of the tourists 
Some had relatives either working in the Twin Towers or working near the area. The O'Connors themselves were Irish-American. They gave over the offices for anyone who wanted to ring home. Uh, Because, yeah, and as Mary Newman was pointing out there, we were talking about an era that didn't have, very few people had mobile phones. There was a few mobile phones, but there wasn't that many mobile phones. They weren't as common, I say, as they are today. So they allowed the offices to open up. Anyone who wanted to try to phone home to America, needless to say, uh, Jeremy Gray and Nell and the family were very upset. I will never forget it. And that is from Antoinette. People have just such clear, clear memories of this day, well, tomorrow, uh, 20 years ago, as if it only happened uh, yesterday. And uh, I think the world will uh, never forget for sure what what happened. It will never be forgotten. And there'll be a lot on TV now as well, because America, obviously, they are preparing. There's been a lot of services on already this week. There's been so many services on already this week. And I know uh, workmen have been very busy all week getting the stages and the barricades uh, ready because They remember 9-11 every year in New York, but because of the 20th anniversary tomorrow, there's going to be a lot more events um, happening. And uh, somebody else is saying, did you mention Father Michael Judge? We did. He was he was along with the first responders and the firefighters. He raced down there and he was actually killed by falling debris. He was an, an Irish priest who was well, he was uh, who was the chaplain for the New York Fire Department. And he became officially recorded as the first death of 9-11. And we remember the firefighters carrying out his his body out. Remember, somebody got that amazing photograph uh, of it. So yes, uh, he certainly uh, is being remembered uh, today. Thank you to a West Cork listener to say when we were speaking about Father Judge who was who, who has been registered in the States as the first official death from 9-11 at the Twin Towers. Uh, a listener says the St. Anthony's Messenger has a beautiful article on Father Judge and his colleagues in this month's uh, issue and this Texture said, I've just read it online, so it is available online if anybody wants to read more about Father Judge, because I can't get over the number of people to say, when you're remembering 9-11, don't forget uh, Father Judge. And this listener is also making the point, which is an, an interesting one, that the American date is going to confuse European history students into the future. Because, yeah, we talk about 9-11 and in the States... We would all we would have referred to that as the eleventh of September two thousand and one. But in America, when they do the dates, they do they flip it. They do it the other way. They put the month first, which is the ninth of the eleventh September, the eleventh two thousand and one. So it's a good point. Yeah, it may confuse history t- history students going forward. Okay, that's where I've got to wrap it up for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing for today and indeed for this week. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Talk to you Monday at ten. Until then, stay safe. Cork Today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Want great advice? You know who to talk to CMIG.ie Here's a cool fact A crocodile can't stick out its tongue Another cool fact You can get short-term health insurance for a month Or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.